Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find rest for their souls. As we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, we have reached a portion of Scripture that is beloved by many. For it is here that that, that Jesus offers us an easy yoke and a light burden. He he says that those who, who learn from him will find rest for their souls. These are enticing words, are they not? Many have memorized these verses because they bring comfort in a chaotic world. And yet, we who want to be diligent in our study of the Bible, we must remember that these words of our Lord don't come to us without a backstory. Jesus isn't just some fortune cookie prophet doling out pithy sayings with zero context. There is a reason he speaks these things at the time that he does. And in order for us to understand what he is getting at, we must first know why he is saying this. Now, if you recall, we have been looking at this incident where John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question. We we saw this in in the beginning of chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. John wanted to know if Jesus truly was the Messiah or or should he expect someone else. You, You see, John... He was having some doubts because Jesus wasn't bringing about the wrath of God upon the wicked. Well, Jesus answered his friend by pointing John both to his preaching of the good news and to the, and to the miracles that he performed. What was written in the book of Isaiah was now being fulfilled through Jesus. But as for God's judgment, that would have to wait. But lest the crowds thought less of this man, Jesus then vouched for John in verses 7 through 15 by calling him the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And the reason he was great, because he was chosen to usher in the Messiah. He got to behold Jesus. But those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are even greater than him, because they stand at a closer proximity to Christ. And they get to witness more. And it is off of this point that in verses 16 through 24, Jesus began to criticize his own generation. For they neither believed the message of John the Baptist, nor did did they repent when Jesus spoke. They were a finicky people refusing to believe in a God that, that, that didn't look and behave exactly like them. And because of this, they would be judged more harshly than some of the wicked nations from long ago. You see, God had revealed to them in a powerful way, and yet they refused to listen. 
But if they, if they were a condemned people, then what we see today in, in verses 25 through 30, in verses 25 through 30 are, are words for those who are not condemned. Words for those who are in the kingdom. Let, let, let's look at our text and see exactly what Jesus has to say. Look at verses 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus said, I, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Christ begins with a, with a prayer of praise. He is thanking his Father that, that his will is being done concerning the, the revealing of who Jesus is. Now I want you to notice the, the, the two titles that, that Jesus uses here in this passage. Father the, the, and the Lord of heaven and earth. The first deals with the intimate relationship that Jesus has as the Son of God. And we'll talk more about that when we look at verse 20, 27. The second demonstrates the sovereignty of the Father over all matters. God is in control over all aspects of his creation. Inherently, he moves in this freedom that, that no other being can operate in. And, and we see this freedom being played out in the fact that he, he both hides and he reveals the identity of his Son to whom he chooses. Those who are wise and learned, both Jesus and his plan of salvation are a mystery to them. And yet, God chooses to unveil these things to little children. Think about that. The question is, whom is Jesus referring to when he speaks of the wise? Well, these are, are, are those whom we read about. Those Jesus condemned. Those from his generation. They were those who saw Jesus' miracles and yet refused to repent. But more specifically, these people were the learned. They were those who, who thought highly of themselves, thinking that they had no need to be taught. Most likely, Jesus had groups like the Pharisees in mind. And in the future, when we, when we jump into chapter 12, we will see some of the ways in, in which they were like this. But that's for another time. But what about the little children? Who, who were they? These would be those who, who are both dependent and humble. They're, they're, they are like children. They, they are ones who, who love to be taught. You think, think about it. Children, they, they know that they, they, they have much to learn. They understand that concept. You see, the, 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 that first group, the wise and the learned, they, they, they think that they can comprehend God without his revelation. And so they use their worldly wisdom in, in their approach to understanding him. But it is the second group, the, the, the little children who, who, who let go of their pride and sit humbly at the feet of their master. This is why the Apostle Paul says this in his, his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And again in verses 27 and 29 through 29. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. <clears throat> God is no respecter of worldly wisdom, particularly when it comes to man's attempts at doing theology apart from his revelation. Those who are haughty, those who take pride in their unique ideas about God, they will be put to shame. But those who sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him, God will reveal to them his path of salvation through his Son. Here's the thing. We must not think that God conceals and reveals arbitrarily, as if everyone is neutral in this matter. No, he discloses to the humble and he withholds from the proud. And yet, at the same time, it is his decision. Nobody chooses God. Rather, God chooses them. And so we see that salvation does not depend on human wisdom, but on the Father revealing Jesus to those whom he chooses. And the ones he chooses are those who are like children, willing to learn. How about you? Have you been humbled by God and his revelation? Have you become like a child? Has your pride been removed and are you willing to learn at the feet of Jesus? This is what it means to have faith. It, it, is, it is the Father revealing to you his Son. But if that is the case, if Jesus has been revealed to you, then what does Christ teach you as you sit at his feet? Jesus answers that question in our next verse. Verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Here we, we see Jesus switching from a prayer of praise to once again addressing the crowds. And, and, he, and as he does this, he, he gives himself a title, the Son of the Father. Let's talk about that title for a moment. Whereas in John's gospel, Jesus, uh, John describes Jesus as the Son of God frequently, Matthew, he isn't overt like that. He, he only does so at a few crucial spots. And the first time we saw it was at the baptism of Jesus. Look at Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Once again, we see the close relationship between the Father and the Son. These verses are one of Matthew's first overt signals pointing to the godly nature of Christ. The Father calls Jesus his Son. 
And now in chapter 11, when for the first time we are beginning to see people doubt in Jesus, Christ gives us another clue as to his true identity by donning the title of son. What does it mean to be the son of God? Much of that is explained in, in our verse. Look, look at the first part of verse 27 once again. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Implicit in this statement is this idea that the authority of the Son is on equal footing with the authority of the Father. In essence, Jesus is proclaiming here that, that he is equal with the Father. That he is God. Having finite minds, it is difficult for us to reason the complex nature of, our, of the Trinity, of, the, of our triune God. The, the, the fact that God is one in essence or substance, as, as was stated in the creed we read earlier, and yet he is three in persons, that, that concept is hard for us to grasp. You see, the, the, the Father, he has zero qualms about handing his authority over to his Son, and the reason he has no qualms is, is because they have the same will. The, the will of the Father is the will of the Son. The will of the Son is the will of the Father. This is why Jesus said this in, in John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. The will of the Son is the will of the Father. But it is more than just having the same will. For the Son has the same authority as well. He, he has this authority to reveal and this authority to conceal. For it is only through the Son that we can truly know the Father. Look back again at, at our verse from Matthew, verse 27. Look at the second half of that. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Here we see that, that God's authority to reveal is given to the Son as well. After declaring in his short prayer that, that it is the Father who reveals the Son, Jesus now tells the crowd that he is the one who chooses to whom to reveal the Father. Jesus has this authority. He can both hide the Father from those he considers wise and learned, and he can disclose the Father to little children. This is what we saw in our, in our first scripture reading. Uh, look with me at, at John chapter 14 verses 7 through 11. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus was revealing to his disciples his divine nature, that he and the Father are one. And today, he has revealed this to you as well. This is what his word is pointing you to. Let me ask you, do you, do you understand who Jesus is? That he is in the Father and that the Father is in him? That he is God in human flesh? Listen, you can, you can only know the Son if the Father chooses to reveal him to you. And you can only know the Father if the Son does likewise. For the Father is revealed in the Son. You can't have the one without the other. Dear friends, if, if you don't understand that Jesus is God, then you are worshiping an idol and you have no part in his kingdom. This is why worldly wisdom fails and God's revelation is necessary. So what have we seen so far? One, that the, that the father chooses to reveal and to conceal the identity of his son to whom he chooses. Two, this, this same revealing authority has been given to the son in order to reveal the father. And the reason Jesus can do this is because the son is one with the father. The son is God. But what does this mean for us? It, it means that both the Father and the Son have the power to reveal themselves to us in order, in order that we, as little children, can find rest for our souls. Finally, the verses we have been yearning for. Ma Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To those whom he reveals himself, he offers them rest. What comforting words. But rest from what? from the heavy loads that the, that the wise and the learned have placed upon the people. Here's what happens when you don't base your theology on the revelation of God. You come up with man-made traditions which only weigh you down. It, this is what the, the Pharisees were notorious for. But, but Jesus is not like them, for he gives rest to the weary. How does he do this? By placing his yoke upon you. Now a yoke was a was a wooden frame fastened over the over the necks of two animals. The these animals would then share the burden of pulling the plow. Now when Jesus speaks this way there there is a historical context to his words. He is speaking as a first century rabbi. You see, these teachers of the law would often use the imagery of a yoke when, when speaking of their, their connection to their disciples. The rabbi and the student would be yoked together just as two animals as they, as they tried to follow Yahweh. But it was the yoke of these haughty Pharisees that were burdensome. 
for the weight of their traditions were very, very heavy. But the yoke that Jesus offers adds no extra weight. It is a perfect fit, for it is built solely from God's revelation. In other words, his teaching is a pure theology. Back when I was a missionary, we would often travel with, with lots of luggage. And being the father, typically I would carry the, the, the brunt of that baggage. But once we made it through the lines and we had checked our luggage in, I would give a, a, a deep sigh of relief. For, for all that was left to carry were our carry-ons. Now there was still a, a burden to bear, but that burden was light. And I felt like I could finally rest. This is a, the sense in which, in which Jesus speaks. For, for this is what it, was, what it is like to learn from him. It is not that you're not yoked, that there is no weight. Rather, you are freed from the, the unnecessary loads that once held you back. Let me ask you, what are, what are the burdens that are weighing you down? Do you feel the pressure to be perfect? Christ takes that away by giving you his righteousness. Do you, do you feel the, the guilt of a sinful past or maybe even a sinful present? Jesus, he, he lifts those burdens by pointing you to the path of repentance and forgiveness through the cross. Have you been hurt by, by the people that you love? With Christ, you are now yoked with someone who will never hurt you. Maybe this coronavirus has reawoken your fear of dying and you have become very anxious. Jesus can remove such worries by offering you his home in his eternal kingdom. Brothers, sisters, do you see it? When, when you are yoked to Jesus, when you are taught by him, he gives you this new perspective on life, a new focus, and all that other stuff, all those burdens that, that weigh you down become less and less important until eventually they are removed entirely. This is the freedom that Christ provided for you when he died for your sins. This is the wisdom that he teaches you when you let go of your pride and come to him as children ready to learn. This is the rest that he grants to your soul when he chooses to reveal himself to you as the son of God. Turn away from all worldly wisdom and come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you so that your soul can find the rest that you have been longing for. Let us pray. Father, we come to you with thankful hearts. It is only by your will that we, that we truly know your Son. And it is only by his will that we can, we can know you as well. We ask now that, that you would humble our hearts. Humble them through the working of your Holy Spirit. Make us like little children. Help us to put on the, the yoke of Christ and to learn from him so that we might find rest for our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.